Hi, hello, welcome, diddly doo da day. We have a really special guest today who means so much to me. I love her all the way down to my pinky toe bones. She's amazing. She's a wonderful human on top of being an insane, fierce professional. And her name is Jessica Baker. She is a set deck coordinator. And a couple of things that she has worked on are the movie Dumplin', the Jennifer Aniston movie on Netflix, Stranger Things, and Instant Family, to name just a couple. She's so wonderful, and I encourage every single person who has ever worked with her just to tell her every day that she's great, because <laughs> I think she is. I also just want to mention how important your set deck coordinators are and how much they put up with and how much they work through. They're such special people, and it's a very skilled position in film that definitely doesn't get its due. And I just want to give a shout out to all of our, our set deck coordinators listening out there because you guys are amazing and we appreciate you. So without further ado, here is Jessica Baker. Jessica Baker, thank you so much for coming on and being here with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. And you work primarily as a set deck coordinator, one of the top of the line, best of the best. Couldn't picture anyone else that I love more than you and all of your work. You work so hard. And so I'm just going to ruffle your feathers for a second because I know you hate compliments <laughs> and just tell you how great you are. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't know. I'm the craziest probably, which is why I'm in set deck. I mean, there is a level of crazy that I think you have to have in set deck. If you go into our department, you have to be a certain, certain level, right? It's true. Yeah. But thank you. I appreciate your, your kind, kind words. Well, they're true. So, you know, they're kind and true. <laughs> um, I really appreciate you coming on, though, genuinely. And I'm just really glad to see and hear from you again. And I know that um, I didn't ask too many questions in our little question sheet that I sent you. But you're also a mom and a working mom, which is a really difficult thing in the industry. And so how has that been going for you the past couple of years? I think working moms everywhere can say that it's tough. Yeah. It's always a tightrope balancing act in a lot of ways. At least I feel that. I won't put that on any other mom, but we've sort of figured out a way that works for us. I don't think it would, you know, our way wouldn't work for someone else. But it, we've found in our family, um, something that works and clearly I mean we've had to make it work for me to keep going and since my son is three now oh my god um we've you know we're finding our way the pandemic threw us off a little bit shockingly can't believe that <laughs> I guess we're not that special in that department but we're finding our footing again and moving forward so I think it's a challenge. I think any parenting is challenging. And when you're working parent, it's, it's a hard act to figure it out. I think I have to be honest with you, Shana. I love honesty. I can't imagine being on shooting crew and doing 
it would just, for me personally, there's no more hands to do the juggling and you would need a finer set of skills than I have for sure to do that. I think effectively and efficiently. Yeah, I get that. Happily, happily. I, yeah. That's another, another challenge. I think being a, a coordinator and being one who functions out of the office and has, even though I can work some really long hours, but has more of a set schedule that's the only way I can continue to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, how old was your son when we first worked together? Was he six months? Six months, mm. maybe. I think he was, when we started working together, I think he was like four months. And then he was like six or seven months when we ended. Oh, so my goodness. That was I, a little crazy, but. That was absolutely bonkers. I couldn't believe that you were taking the job. I was like, these people are not going to pay your rate. And, you know, there's all these uphill battles. I I really wanted to work with you. And I, it was a good show for me. And I had, I think you were such a supportive department head. I appreciated you. And I felt that you appreciated my level of professionalism. Absolutely. That you, whatever level I was able to attain while I had a four month old at home. So, you know, it was a great experience for me to work with you. Yeah. I would try to kick you out of the office and you would refuse. You like (laughs) lived in that office and I was like, time to leave. It's we're going, we're going home early. And (laughs) you're like, I'm actually tied to this, this desk. I don't leave until it's done. It's madness. I have, um, I have to say, um, a lot of support at home because my husband during that period of time wasn't working. He stayed home. So the fact that we had an at home parent is huge, huge. And so people who do not have the privilege of that, that makes so, sense. I mean, yeah. It's tough for me. And I have that privilege. So oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you guys figured it out and found a balance. Yeah, I mean, what for a week or two, and then you're like, ah! of course. And then I'm like, hey, um, remember me? Come on this podcast. I need an hour of your no, life. <laughs> I, I, I'm so honored that you asked me to be on it. So thank you. Well, we we are even more honored to have you. And I'm going to ask you the first question, which okay. you know, I think you you're ready for. As a set decoration coordinator, how would you describe your job and your responsibilities? It is my job to support the set department and the set decorator in essentially whatever they need me to do. The majority of the time, that means um, interacting with other departments to get information, to build bridges, especially with accounting, for example, create relationships that might need to be created so we can get something done easily or quickly. It's my job to support the buyers in whatever they need, including reconciling their paperwork with accounting and making sure that all of those costs are entered into the budget. So I I help manage the budget for the set decorator, department head. And of course, usually working with the art department coordinator to sort out clearances Sometimes I'm hunting them down, calling the artist and begging them. Sometimes I'm simply sending paperwork for signature and then making sure it gets to the right 
person to get to the studio where they need to be um, and supporting the lead, the person who is in charge of the set deck logistics in a swing game. I need to make sure that whatever they need me to do and however I can help them with vendor partnerships and communication, which is always key. It's probably the biggest thing that I bring to my, my particular, the way I do the job is, I really try to see the breaks in communication and to relink the conversations that need to be lined up. Yeah, you masterfully do that. I've witnessed it, and I've been on the receiving end of it, and it's beautiful. It really is. uh, It's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I think that's uh, not everybody does the job the same way. There are many ways of doing it. Um, I have my particular things that I'm really good at and things that I might not be so good at. Definitely. 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 There's, of course, a million other things that you're doing on top of those very time-consuming, important things, like making sure the department heads going to their meetings and making meetings with other people and all the... There's just an endless list. So, I usually have some sort of role with production and making sure that whatever our department needs or needs to in, inform production of those those types of conversations are happening. Right. Yeah. With that being said, uh, walk me through a pretty typical day in your role during prep. I think that I don't necessarily structure my day in the most organized way, which I think I could probably work on, (laughs) to be honest. I know coordinators who come in and they really go through, like in their mind, they have a list of what they do when, and they sort of stick to that. And it's very regimented. I sort of am more intuitive in the way that I structure my day in the sense that I'm always first checking in with a decorator. What are your priorities today? What do you need? I'll check in with a lead and ask them, what are you going to need today? Or is there anything that you need me to help you with? Right, like accounts. And then the buyers will eventually come for me <laughs> and ask me, um, you know, and it might be, re- I, might, I might need to do some research for the decorator. I might need to set up a vendor partnership. And there is a small amount of buying that inevitably I end up doing, right? Right, Even like wallpaper. So, <laughs> like wallpaper. Um, so I sort of structure it in the sense that I want to make sure that the department head has what they need for the day. And so my first priority is what do we need to do for you or get for you, solidify for you so that your day can go easier and you can move through your day. Then I'm going to get to the lead and then I'll probably end up doing paperwork, which is a never ending part of my job and a part of our business, really the paper trail. And even, even now we've digitized so much of the process and it still means so much processing of paperwork, you know, digitally. Absolutely. I remember I came in, um, accounting things, all of that. 
Exactly. Uh, I came into your bullpen office when we were on our show and your entire desk was covered in post-its. And then on your computer, like on the right side of your computer, you had a stack that was like an inch thick of post-its that you were just crossing off and going down the lists. And just each color was coming off and you were checking off things and you had different lists for different people. It was very impressive. It's a good day if you ha- if you've gotten rid of more post-its than you've created. And you know, obviously, and everyone does their list differently and mine is a very scattered way of doing it, but you know, some things are not a priority, but then after I've checked in with the decorator or even the buyers, like oh suddenly that thing needs to move up, you know. And that's why I say it's so hard to give you a typical day because so many things depend on what the the people that I'm supporting need and what they've asked me for. And it's constantly changing and shifting. And I think people who are not able to manage that, the, the upward mobility and the downward mobility of priorities, I think struggle. If they're too structured in what they, they need to check off their list. It's like, well, you got to keep an eye on what's most important and when things need to move up or when they just go away. I know that's frustrating for people who first get in our business. It's frustrating for us veterans. We veterans, if you will, (laughs) of the industry. When things are such a priority on a Monday and Tuesday morning you get in and the creatives have had a meeting and something you spent three days on literally just disappears and goes away and isn't needed anymore. And I think I'm always saying to my PAs, shift gears. The one thing you can count on in this industry is that it's going to change. The plan is going to change. A hundred percent. You got to learn to let go of those things. Every single day. (laughs) All the time. How does uh, your, your day and your schedule change when you shift into shooting? Like, does your, I know you're doing less prep, so you're not setting up accounts as much and you're not doing something, but definitely the timeline moves faster. So how would your day change on a shooting day? Well, at first I feel like unless there's, which sometimes in in the first day of shooting, there's always something, right? That comes up that's like a hot potato, a red item that is immediately needing to be attended to. I think in the first few days, there's always these, you're kind of waiting a little bit in the first few days of shooting to see what the fallout is, you know, what we missed or what people want changed suddenly or whatever. But then when we settle into like a shooting rhythm, I would say that you're always just checking clearances, of course, in prep are there, but then when we're in shooting, that becomes more pressing. Right. And, we need to make sure that we're on top of whatever scenes are coming up and that those clearances are confirmed or we've let everyone know, including the decorator and the lead, that is not clear. It's not going to get clear. We're going to have to pivot. Makes sense. So that becomes, a. I mean, it's, it's always there, right? But when you're, when you're sort of moving nimbly during shooting and you're, trying to get things sorted, um, I feel like that sort of becomes more of a pressing thing for me where I'm looking at the timeline and seeing, 
mm, this isn't gonna we, we can't get this person to respond to us or it's not gonna line up and we're sort of always ever hopeful foolishly we're ever hopeful on many clearances we shouldn't be but um true so i feel like that becomes for me becomes a little bit more of a thing and then of course keeping everybody aware of any changes i'm always trying to alert people to if there's a new schedule out or if there's a new script that's been released we try to immediately do distro so distro becomes a thing right when we're when we're dealing with paper covid has kind of changed that so in in the at least in my experience in covid has been that people just want to do away with the germiness of paper right right makes so sense. then it's just a hey did everybody see there's a new one-liner or they're changing the call sheet for tomorrow. Let's make sure, you know, um, everybody's aware. Most of the time people are checking their email and they're up on it, but I just try to call it out to people. Yeah. And that's actually a really good uh, um, word to keeping... bring up too, is distro. Go ahead. Di- I'm sorry. Uh, distro is a really good word to bring up to people because I know a couple people have asked me about it. Distro means to distribute the new one-liner or new script or new pages or that has been released from production, just in case anyone doesn't know. I have a couple people that listen that aren't in the film industry. So that's another one. Just when we say distro, it just means distribute new information. Right. And it used to be that just for those people who might not know this, it used to be that a lot of times they would distribute it electronically, but then most people would want it in the paper format. So it would be up to me and my PAs to make sure that everybody gets copies of this. It's sort of gone away a little bit because people want to get away from paper. I mean, our our industry is so bad with paper. This is true. I am also one of those so people. I need a hard a copy. Thing. Maybe I'm the worst. I like a hard copy, but yeah. So if even even now, if I'm working with a department head that is it's essential for them to have hard copies. As soon as it's released, we'll cu- get in touch with production and say, we need a hard copy for the set decorator. Let's get it to them as soon as possible. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, as the coordinator, I have only ever seen the coordinators be responsible for our PAs in the office. Um, of course, they don't solely belong to the coordinator uh, for, for set deck at least, but the coordinator is generally the person who manages them. And as a coordinator, what are some of your responsibilities that you give to PAs? Not technically your responsibilities, but stuff that you would have PAs do for the department. A lot of times they're responsible for doing like the low level paper paper shifting, meaning taping up receipts, scanning receipts in, Um, If we're doing digital filing, making sure everything gets scanned in and separated accordingly, they will be responsible for doing lunch runs or snack runs if we need them. We'll send them to set or to a prep set, right? Let's say you're prepping a set and something got left at the office. We'll ask them just to run it out. If, if the lead can't organize that or it's just there's nobody to do it, right? The buyers aren't going there today or whatever. They often get asked, especially in our department, and I think Shana, as a department head, you can confirm this. They often get asked to do 
crafty things, mm-hmm. like creating crafty types of things. And anytime that comes up, since that's on an on-camera thing, that takes precedence over filing or taping or, you know, whatever else. If I have a really experienced PA or someone who is very interested in staying in set deck and potentially coordinating, which never happens because whoever wants to do this job. But True. Um, <laughs> if I ever have someone who shows interest in that, I try to get them more deeply involved in understanding the paperwork and the flow of paperwork because it's essential that they understand how money gets spent. That's the job of the department is to spend the money and put it on screen. And so I get more into that with a PA who's interested in that. Yeah, that makes sense. If you get a PA that is slower at picking things up, then I stick to the basic tasks and I pick up any slack that I just don't think that they are ready to handle. Even a green PA, if they're really quick and are capable of learning and deciphering ways and means, I can give them a little bit more. But those are the basic tasks, I'd say. I like that. That was a good answer. How do you normally find the PAs that get hired? I know a lot of the times I'll I'll take the coordinator's recommendation over anyone else because they're the one that's going to work so closely with them. Well, I have to say there's like a coordinator mafia that basically will send a resume and say, I worked with this person and they're phenomenal and I don't have something for them to do. I'm taking some time off. Can anybody use them? Because they like them so much, they're trying to put them to work. And so I do get PAs that way. I also am tied into a couple of film programs that ultimately churn people out into the Georgia labor market. And I do get PAs that way as well. I also get them from people in our department. If somebody says, hey, do you have a PA? And I say, actually, I am I just got rid of mine because they were needed to leave the nest. They needed to become a dresser or whatever, you know. And sometimes the decorator has someone they really want to work with. Sometimes a buyer will say, this person was great. You know, they come all different ways. I love that. Sometimes I love I just it. get solicited by someone. Yeah. That's just randomly sending stuff out. And I... If I see something interesting on the resume, I might call them. Yeah, a lot of the times I'll get emails um, just off the cuff and and a cold email, I guess, because it's not a call. But um, I'll get these emails that are like, hey, I'm a PA. I just moved to town and I'm looking for work. And I'm just not as tapped into the coordinators or the people that are hiring PAs as, as someone else might be. Like coordinators, I feel like, are one of the primary people that that should get contacted for PAs, but sometimes they get overlooked and they contact decorators and lean men. It's also, I tell, so I'm doing, I'm teaching at GFA. Actually, I'm teaching a class at GFA. Tell me more. For punishment. Um, (laughs) But I sometimes will help my students if they show a lot of promise. I will pass their resumes when they get through my class. I'll pass it along and say, somebody this person is bright 
they're really green. They really only know book learning, you know, but they're trainable. And if I believe in them, I'll, I'll, I'll and I've, I've sent a couple PAs out into the world that way and successfully, I would say. That's so awesome. that's another pool I pull from. I love that. What is this class that you teach? It's a, it's an introduction to basically the production office and um, account, like just the basics. Oh, I love this. You know. We should, I, I'll get some information <laughs> from you to plug for your, your Instagram post and I'll uh, oh, have boy. to give everyone the rundown. <laughs> I love that. I love that that's what you're doing. It's I feel like you're a great person. I to really learn from. enjoy teaching. I love teaching them. And a friend of mine who had taught at GFA and was the lead of instruction there asked me to do it. And I was like hemmed and hawed and felt like that there was never a good time to do it. But finally I just said, Okay, okay, I'm gonna do it this term. And then they've they've hooked me every term since. <laughs> I love that. That's great. So, well, definitely have to plug some of your information on this on this episode and I will get that from you later. But until then, what is the most challenging aspect of your job as a coordinator? Um I think coordinating is a job that is not necessarily well understood outside the department. So, I think a set decorator knows generally what goes into the job and what goes into the job being done well. I think there's a little bit of education that goes on at a variety of levels, not least at the production management level. So I always find it a little tough in the beginning to let people know the scope of the job and how many pie as we end up sort of reaching in, right? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's, and also I think that sometimes, and this is part of the job, Some you have to, you are, you work at the pleasure of the decorator and every decorator has a different approach to budget management. And so you kind of, you have to suss out if it's someone that you haven't worked for before, what their approach is and what will ultimately be happy. And then you have to find a way to balance that with what production and accounting expect from you because you don't work for production and accounting. You work for the decorator. Absolutely. But, and if you're clever, you have to figure out how to make the bridge that you're standing on with the decorator reach the bridge that production and accounting are extending to you and what they want you to hand off to them. Right. So that can be tricky, subtle, if you do it well. Absolutely. I, so I think, you know, understanding that every decorator is different and there's no formula. Yeah. I know on our show, you gracefully married all the departments together, and it was very helpful to have you be on our side and be our advocate to production and to accounting when, you know, Jen and I couldn't be the ones to advocate for our department. 
you got it. You got the memo. You were political about it. You were kind to them. And we we received kindness in return, which was huge. And you're so amazing with numbers. It was like I didn't have to go through the tiny nuances for certain things with you. And then you'd catch things if we had talked about them. And you're like, oh, I didn't see that before. You gave me a heads up. And I just, it was really incredible to work with you with how fast and how good you were with numbers and the budget. It was awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. But that's, that's the job. There is an art to, I think, doing that well. And I think it's greatly underestimated how a good coordinator and a skilled coordinator and someone who actually can reach across departments and help, it really does smooth things. And it once you smooth things, everything else sort of goes a little easier. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I worked with um, Olivia Tanner, who is another set deck coordinator, and she's unbelievable as well. I was um, assistant decorating, so I wasn't the decorator and I wasn't managing the budget, but I, as buying things and handing her receipts and her setting up accounts and all these challenges she did so amazing and just watching you guys that know numbers and get it and can plug things so quickly and you just see the nuances that have issues it's it's really a skill and it's an art form to watch you guys work because it's like wow I am not that person and I can really appreciate what you do (laughs) thank you I I really appreciate that and I do think that there are people such as myself that are good at these skill sets. And I think it's unfortunate that this position has been viewed as a position to get into and get out of as quickly as you can. Absolutely. Um, That you don't want to stay here because it's a place where you go to rot (laughs) kind of thing, you know? Yes. And I find that really unfortunate because I think the skill sets are highly developed when you're, you, you know, and you can utilize those things and leverage them. And it's unfortunate that it's not seen as that. Yeah. And that it's seen as just like a glorified PA who turns in paperwork. Absolutely. You it know? is definitely one so, of the most underrated positions in, I would say, all of the film industry is a set deck coordinator. Because the art depart- the art department coordinator is not reviewed or not viewed, excuse me, quite as they have more respect I feel like from a lot of positions and the set deck coordinator sometimes they don't even give you a coordinator they're like you have a PA and that is how you're going to do the show and it blows my mind because it's like you want everything to be cleared you want us to have vendors set up you want all of uh, these lunch receipts turned in like just so many things that the the coordinator gets on top of when they start. And it's, it's very unfortunate that they're not viewed at higher regard. I think one of the things that I have heard someone say, not directly to me, but they said it to a department head of mine and they didn't say it in an ill or mean way. It was what their perception is. Okay. And it was like, well, the art department coordinator is worth their weight in whatever, they're getting paid because they're responsible for the legal clearances. And that translates to the studio as okay to spend this amount of money on an art coordinator. Like, oh, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but 
that's not the only thing that we do. And we will end up doing the lion's share of set debt clearance for a set debt department, you know, but that's not the only thing. Yeah. But they see it as like a, a legal thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, because the art department coordinator is bringing that legal aspect to it, there's weight. They feel that there's weight to that. It's someone who doesn't understand what a set debt coordinator does and how much yeah, they are actually responsible yeah. for because we're the ones with the art. And yeah, there's graphics in art department, but for set deck, we have the art, we have the furniture, we have these textiles. You know, a decorator can be somewhat old school and not not really care about clearances as much. And so you have to like trail behind them and run run behind them and try to clear everything before it shoots which is insane. (laughs) That is such a good point because that's another thing that is nuanced when you're getting to know a decorator and figuring out what they like. I mean, some decorators will say clear everything. If it's a piece of paper that has a mark on it, clear it. And then there are some people who are like, I'm not going to play that game. Mm -hmm. We'll clear the art, you know, we'll clear whatever makes sense to them. And then they don't, they're just like, I'm not going to get into it. So again, fine line to walk. You got to figure out, you got to figure out your communication with your decorator and, you know. Absolutely. Because at the end the of the day, yeah, at, at the end of the day, we're all working for the studio and we yeah. have to protect them just as much as we have to protect ourselves. That's what the contract, what you sign when you start that job is you're an advocate for that studio. You are representing mm-hmm. them. Your work is belongs to them. And so you just, you kind of have to um, know your way around clearances and understand that at the end of the day, it is your boss that will get fined or sued over this item. And so it's, you have to be mindful. And ultimately, I also think there's something to be said for maybe it's not even as grave as that. It can be. You're right. I don't disagree with you, Shana. But getting your reputation for not playing ball with clearances. And Absolutely. then you get a little bit of a, you know, it's like, I don't know, it gets put out there and then becomes an issue that you got to talk about with the people who want to hire you. So true. And I went with extremes because I'm a very dramatic person. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, I think that can happen. But yeah, I think it's also um, and I and I think I do think clearances have have in the last five to six years have gained um a gravity to getting on top of it which we can we've seen because the studios now have higher clearance coordinators Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they also have usually someone that you're sending stuff to right even within their legal team or someone that they've hired because it has become so much more litigious absolutely i think people are hit to our game i worked with one of the producers who was involved in the Mike Tyson face tattoo thing on um, The Hangover. Wow. And not to go into grave detail, but you can imagine that the show that I worked on after that happened, clearances were like tight. (laughs) That ship was (laughs) a very tight ship. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So I just think these things happen and someone gets successful at taking the studio to court and getting money over something 
like a generic Celtic tattoo. And then, you know, it's, yeah. It so snowballs the into something The else. radar goes up and yeah. then the producers, the radar is up. And then it's like, okay, clear, 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 clear. And Absolutely. I get it when it's costing them money on the back end because they thought it wasn't going to be a big deal. It's right. all a big deal now. Yeah. And that's, that's what a so. studio takes a risk on. Um, we take a risk yeah. by working for a studio and the studio takes a risk by hiring, you know, someone and then putting something in script and putting that script yeah. out there and someone sees it and then they have a legal issue on their hands. And that's just a wonderful way the world works. <laughs> Straight from the goddess's mouth, that was Jessica Baker. She is amazing, and I hope everyone feels enlightened and informed with all that information she just gave us about set deck coordinating. She actually runs a class through GFA, and it's through the university system of Georgia where the kids can register. When I say kids, I mean people that are studying in school still. You can register in their home institutions, and GFA provides classes to that group of universities. If you are interested, I can forward you the link if you reach out to me on our Instagram, which is Go for Set Deck Podcast. I also have a Patreon account if you are so feel so inclined to donate your monies. It's Go for Set Deck Podcast at Patreon, and we also have just moved over to this hosting site that I'm going to be introducing ads into our episodes to hopefully, I don't know, bring in some revenue. That would be crazy talk, but I'm really sorry for everyone listening who is going to transition from our ad-free episodes into our ad episodes. So bear with me on that. And that's about it. That's wrapping up this episode about set deck coordinating and all its magnificence. Thanks for tuning in and be a wonderful human. Goodbye.